I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. This morning, only two verses. Here is the message title. It is a question. Are you a verbal assassin? I begin not with the words of James, but with the words of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Tongue has the power of life and death. Of all the things that Proverbs says about the tongue, that's my favorite verse right there. Because it reminds us of something very important. Every time you open your mouth, either life comes out or death comes out. Nothing in between. Every comment you make, every little quip, every little, every little statement, every little passing opinion is either life or death. And we're reminded in Proverbs 18, 21, those who love, those who love wisdom, and those who understand who God is, they will eat of the fruit. That is, there's a great reward for those who understand the power of the tongue. After all, words are important. God created the universe with words. And God said, and God said, and read Genesis 1. And God said, and God said, over and over again, God spoke and it was so. Our Lord Jesus was called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think of what a few words put together can convey. What hath God wrought. First words sent by Morse code over the telegraph. Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. First words spoken over the telephone by Alexander Graham Bell. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask instead what you can do for your country. President Kennedy, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. First word spoken by Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the principle that all men are created equal. Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. A century later, on a sweltering August afternoon, a quarter million people gathered in front of the Lincoln Monument to hear these words. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Martin Luther King, Jr. Words are important. Words are powerful. Words change the course of history. Your words are important because with your words, 
You either say something worthwhile or something that is not worth anything at all. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Jesus said, But I tell you that men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned. One more from the book of Proverbs. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. And so far, at the present moment, do you know who is most in danger in this room? It's clearly me. Because I'm doing all the talking right now. You folks are in the clear. Because you're not saying anything at all. We ought to take this very seriously. Now, James 4, with all that as background. James 4, verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. What exactly is he talking about when he says, do not speak against? He uses the Greek word kata lalego, which means to speak down. Kata means against or it means down. The other means to speak. To speak against or to speak down is the exact equivalent of our English expression to put down. Do not put down one another, brothers. Now the commentaries use other words. Vilify, gossip, belittle, and especially slander. Modern translations a lot of times use the word slander. Do not slander one another, brothers. Since the Greek word is literally to speak against, maybe the easiest English equivalent is the expression badmouth. Badmouth. Do not badmouth one another, brothers. And note what he says. Brothers. The Greek word is adelphos, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Adelphos, right? Adelphos in Greek means one born from the same womb. James is saying, In the family of God, we are all born into the family of God by the Spirit of God. We come from the same womb spiritually. We owe a special debt. We have a special obligation. We have a special responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ not to put them down, not to gossip, not to spread rumors, not to spread lies. We have a special responsibility to the whole family of God. And understand, he is not saying, Be nice to your fellow Christians, but you can treat everybody else like dirt. He's not saying that. Obviously, we ought to be kind and gracious to everybody. But inside the family of God, there is a special obligation. There is a special responsibility. How you ought to speak to others about your brothers and sisters. Be careful, he says. Do not badmouth or speak down against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me flesh this thing out specifically. What does he mean? We must not spread rumors. We must assume the best, not the worst. We must be silent if we cannot be kind. We must not rejoice in exposing the sins of others. We must not share things that are better left unsaid. We must not lie to prove our point. 
We must not use lacerating humor. We must not exaggerate the faults of others. We must not tell the truth to injure others. I was preaching on this one day. I was waxing eloquent and expatiating upon this truth one day. And after the sermon was over, a man came up to me who was in the church. He was the father, he and his wife together, father and mother to four young girls. And he said, in our house, there's a lot of talking and everybody talks all the time. And he said, the only way we could finally control it was this. We finally had to say to the girls, we're going to follow the TKN rule. T-K-N. Before you speak, you got to answer these questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And he said, you know, sometimes we've said it so much to the girls. He said, sometimes around the dinner table, someone will say something and someone will say something else. And there'll be a lot of talk going on and somebody will go too far. And we've trained the girls so much that if somebody goes too far, one of the other girls will go, TKN, TKN, TKN. And they'll know they've got to stop talking. Then I thought to myself, what a good rule that is. Can I say something to you? We live here in Christian community, a place like Word of Life. We come from local churches, another Christian community. Many of us live over in the RV park, yet another Christian community. All of us live in close quarters with other brothers and sisters. Oh, how important it is. Did you know? You can assassinate a friendship with your words. You can assassinate a marriage with your words. With unkind comments, you can assassinate your own family. With with mean-spirited gossip, you can assassinate and blow up an entire church. Now I wonder sometimes in, in our in, in our meal times together, we, we all like to talk. We all like to discuss. We all like to think about have you heard this or have you heard that? I wonder if it wouldn't be better to eat our meals according to the TKN rule. Even though in some cases that would mean we would have to eat our meals in total silence. One of the problems in the local church is well, no, the problem of the local church is we are dealing with fallible people. We are all imperfect people, and all of us have edges. And let's be honest, there are some people, there are some people in our local churches who apparently have the spiritual gift of irritation. They just, they just know how to rub us the wrong way. So easy to respond when we're irritated. So easy to make a quick cutting comment. You know how it works. The church whisperer slanders, pulls you aside into a room and says, I hate to share this with you. Thank you. Then don't. (laughs) I hate to share this with you, but I want to ask you to be praying about this. And then they pour out the bad news about other people. And then they say, but please, please, 
Don't share this with anybody else. Meanwhile, they go down the hall and pull somebody else into the next empty room so they can share it with someone else. We're living in strange times. We're living in the day of social media. I commented yesterday, I mean, everybody is on Facebook and a whole lot of us are on Twitter. Listen, social media rewards bad behavior. Bad news outsells good news. Bad behavior is rewarded on social media. William Barclay makes this point. He said, if you read the Bible, you find it has a lot to say about loose talk. It has a lot to say about unkind speech. And this is a thing that I had never hit me until I read what William Barclay said. If you read what the Bible says about the talebearer, the gossip, the liar. He makes the comment, search the Bible from cover to cover. Not one good word is said about the gossip. Not one good word is said about the talebearer. Not one good word is said about the rumor monger. Not one good word is said about that. And then he goes on to point out this, that in Romans 1, where Paul gives this long catalog of the, a long catalog of the uh, signs of a depraved mind and a depraved society. In Romans 1.30, he lists the slanderer. And you know what the next one is? The hater of God. The hater of God. Your words do matter. Not one good word is said in the Bible about verbal assassins. Not one good word. And the rest of this passage He basically is simply going to enforce this by giving two reasons. Why is this important? Reason number one, because when you speak against a brother, number one, you break God's law. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. And it has the idea, the Greek word here means to judge negatively, to judge down, to come to a bad conclusion. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks against the law or judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Argument goes like this. You slander your brother, but God says you're to love your brother. But when you slander your brother, you are saying what God says doesn't matter. In that sense, you are disregarding God's law. You have judged the law of God. Let me illustrate this a different way. Let us suppose it is the end of a work day and you are on your way home. You've had a long day. You're tired. You're busy. Your mind is going a thousand directions at once. And you come to, you come to a part of the highway and it says work zone, work zone. And then it says 25 miles an hour, but you're tired. You're in a hurry. You're hungry. It's been a hard day and you look around you and you don't see any workers And you look around again, and you don't see any cars coming this way, and there's nobody behind you. And you look around, and you don't see any policemen, and you don't see any highway patrol people. So you just, you've been going 55, you see the work zone, but you go ahead, and you don't slow down. You go 55 anyway, even though the sign said work zone go 25. Now, wait a minute. Besides everything else, 
that's foolish, that's stupid, that's dangerous. There may be workers out there you haven't seen. There may be a police officer just around the curb that you don't know about or hiding behind a sign. Just because you haven't seen somebody doesn't mean they're not there. And for all of that, if there is a police officer there and you're going 55, you're going to be stopped and you're going to be given a ticket and you're going to pay a hefty fine. But that, even that, is not James' point. James' point is this. When you drive 55 willfully in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, you are judging the law. You are saying, this law is stupid. It doesn't apply to me. You are saying, this law is for everybody else. It's not meant for me. When you do that, on top of everything else, you are saying, the law doesn't apply to me because I am a law unto myself. Wait a minute. So what James is saying is, when you badmouth a fellow Christian, when you're sloppy in the comments you make, when you are cutting and you're quick and you're unkind, above everything else, you're saying, God's law doesn't apply to me. You are judging it. You are disregarding what God has said. There's a second reason this is important. Not only are you breaking God's law, number two, when you speak against a fellow Christian, you are usurping God's authority. Verse 12. And when John MacArthur preached on this passage, he pointed out, and I thoroughly agree, this is a wonderful verse because James is making a different kind of argument than the one that we would normally make. There's a lot of theology here. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Look what he says. There is only one lawgiver. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The universe is not a democracy. The U.S. may be a democracy. The universe is not. There is only one vote that counts. It's not yours. That's exactly what James means when he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Who are we talking about? The creator. His sovereignty is unrivaled. His authority is unquestioned. His will is unchanged. His record is unblemished. His steps are untraceable. His wisdom is unparalleled. His power is unending. His words are unprecedented. His kingdom is unstoppable. He speaks, the stars begin to shine. He speaks, and the planets begin to move. He speaks, and the eagle begins to fly. He speaks, and the rabbit begins to hop. He speaks, and there's Adam. There's Eve. He speaks, and the universe comes into existence. There's only one God. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. See, the real question here is, how big is your God? When you criticize, when you take a cheap shot, when you speak unkindly to your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, when you get irritated, decide to tell somebody off, when you blow your temper because you think you've been unfairly treated, what you are really doing is saying, I know better than God does. 
That's the real issue. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the same measure that you judge others, it shall be measured out to you. What's the judging? Well, the judging of Matthew 7 is the same judging of James chapter 4. When he says judge not, what he means is we are not to judge the motives of other people because we can't read their hearts. We can judge what people say. We can judge what people actually do, but we cannot really judge their motives. Only God can look inside the heart. So he's saying, be careful with your comments because once you start to judge another Christian that way, you are actually arrogating to yourself, claiming for yourself the prerogatives that only belong to God in heaven. So we do live in contentious times, do we not? We live in, well, we live in times where you just never know what anybody's going to say or what anybody's going to do. For the last decade or so, there's been a lot of tumult politically in uh, in the U.S., sometimes, now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Sometimes I hear Christians, well-meaning Christians, say of certain politicians, well, so-and-so can't possibly be a Christian. Now, the identity of the person being mentioned perhaps has changed in the last few years, depending on who's in power And who's out of power? Let me just say this. I do believe it's important to think about who's a Christian and who's not. But the warnings in the Bible about that are really not given so much to judge other people, but so that you will look in the mirror and make sure of your own salvation. So that you will look in the mirror and say, am I truly trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? What I'm saying is... We ought to leave the politicians to the Lord. We ought to make sure we're walking with the Lord. After all, we're in sales, not administration. I mean, the question is this. Why can't we all get along? Why do the nations rage? Why do marriages break up? Why do churches split? Listen to the next sentence. The problem, if we take James seriously, the problem is basically theological. It's not simply unkind speech. Underneath it is a deep theological issue. We attack each other because we have abandoned God. We are unkind to each other because we do not respect the Ten Commandments. We are cruel and callous in our speech because we have pushed God off his throne and we think we ourselves should ascend to the throne. After all, all, really, look, James' argument is Be careful in your speech because there's only one God and judge. Who are you to judge your brother? That's his whole argument. What was the first great temptation? Here comes the serpent. What did the serpent say to Eve? Eat the fruit and what? You will be like God. That's what pushed her over the edge. She saw the fruit was beautiful. Nice to look at, appealing aroma. And the promise was, eat this and you shall be like God. Well, of course she ate the fruit. And she gave it to Adam. And of course he ate the fruit. Because there is something inside all of us 
that wants to be God. And if we can't be the big God of the whole universe, we want to be little God over our corner of the universe. So let me bring it down home this way. When you decide to play God, you can say anything you want. You can treat people like dirt. You can attack their motives. You can make absurd accusations. You can write anything you want on Facebook. You can stir up a tweet storm. You can post anonymous criticism. Why not? Because when you are God, no one can tell you what to do. That's the whole point of this passage. Isn't it interesting how all roads in the Bible eventually lead back to the same question? Who's going to be God today? So, if you are going to be God, the rest of us better take cover because you can blow your top and justify anything you say. You can spew venom and destroy your friends, drag down your pastor, blow up your favorite ministry, and leave a trail of bitter tears in your wake. But that's not all. If you are going to be God, you can do whatever you want. Walk away laughing because you've justified yourself in your own mind. You answer to no one. And that, my friends, is what is at stake in this passage. The problem of all of this is this. We're not used to thinking of evil speech in these stark terms. To us, it doesn't seem like such a big sin. We all have our excuses. We all do. I was tired. We're all tired. It was her fault. Then let the Lord deal with her. What I said was the truth, but you said it harshly. They had it coming. Who appointed you as the Lord's avenger? This needed to be said. Maybe it did. But why did you say it in anger? I'm doing God's work. Are you sure about that? Let me be clear. Let me be clear on one point. There is a place for confrontation. Is there not? There is a place for admonishment. Is there not? Absolutely. Truth must be spoken. Crimes must be exposed. Error must be rebuked. The the wolf in sheep's clothing must be exposed. And he must be or she must be expelled from the body of Christ. Rebuke must be given. That's totally biblical. And read Matthew 23. Our Lord is full of grace and truth. And look what he said to the Pharisees. I mean, pretty harsh, strong language in Matthew 23. How do you get from Matthew 23 to James 4? Just this. We, we are to speak the truth. And sometimes we must speak it to people who don't want to hear it. Sometimes, even when we speak it as kindly as we can, they will hear it in a different way, right? It still must be spoken. This passage is not even dealing with those situations. I am simply saying, we must speak the truth, but let us be very careful that we do not return evil for evil when we speak. D.L. Moody, story is told by his son. After Mr. Moody died, his son wrote a biography, which of the different ones of Mr. Moody, I like the one by his son the very best. There's a lot of stories about Moody in that book that aren't found anywhere else. And somewhere in that book, his son tells the story of, um, of a church that was looking for a pastor. And that church wrote a letter to D.L. Moody because he knew everybody and said, 
could you recommend a man to us as pastor? And then they said, this man has been recommended to us. What do you say, Mr. Moody? And as his son tells the story, Moody knew the man who had been recommended to the church very well. As the story is told by his son, Mr. Moody went to the window and looked outside for a long time, deep in thought. He turned around and said, he has too much of the tomahawk in him. His son remarked, later experience was to prove the truth of those words. It's so hard to find the right balance. I I know this. It's hard to find the right balance. But Jesus said, maybe this is what we should do. Just take these words of Jesus. Matthew 7, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Before you speak words of admonishment, before you judge your brother or sister, before you say something that may be difficult to hear, first do some eye surgery. Do some eye surgery. Now, both my wife and I over the years have had a number of eye surgeries. Some of you were here three years ago when we had to leave in the middle of the week because Marlene had to go away. We ended up, she went through five eye surgeries in one year. Myself, some years before that, I had the LASIK surgery done and I became kind of a poster boy for what can go wrong. I mean, 99% of the time that just goes very, very well, but I was in that 1% of the time, little difficulty. I ended up over a period of several years having six different surgeries on both of my eyes. And finally, they just, they just sort of gave up and said, we're not going to do this anymore. We've done all we can do. And, and I will tell you something. Having gone through all those eye surgeries myself, when you were lying down there and all strapped in, and they got your head in that deal. And they've got your, they got your eyelids taped open like this. And they got that little thing that pops your eyeball out. And you see... The doctor coming down with that tiny chainsaw, right? That's what it is, a tiny chainsaw. When somebody's going to do eye surgery on you, you want a doctor with two things. Steady hands and good vision. So he knows where to cut and where not to cut. If we are not careful. We will cut too quickly. We will cut too deeply. We will cut in the wrong place. And even though our motives may be good, we end up doing more harm than good. It has been my observation, personally, that those Christians who are most critical of other Christians often seem to have the most issues in their own life at least from my point of view. And those who walk closest with God seem to be the ones who are quickest to forgive and slowest to speak and most apt to speak with grace and love. Let me wrap this up this way. 
We must be careful and cautious when we speak. That's what James is saying. Be careful and cautious. Think before you speak. Pray before you speak. Pause before you speak. Don't be a verbal assassin. Some of you know the name Robertson McQuilkin. Longtime president of Columbia, used to be Columbia Bible College and Seminary, now Columbia International University in South Carolina. Great man of God. Dr. McQuilkin was very concerned about this. He was very concerned to encourage people not to gossip. And it is said that in his dining room, he had a sign up above his dining room table. Watch this. And the sign said, the absent are safe here. The absent are safe here. And as the story goes, when he was entertaining people around the table, if any of his guests began to speak unkindly or unnecessarily of someone who was not present, Dr. McQuilkin would simply stop and turn and look at that sign. The absent are safe here. Question. Are the absent safe around you? Are your friends safe when they're not around you? Are your family members and loved ones safe when they're not around you? Can they trust that when they are not around, you will still, still speak kindly and not speak evil against them? Don't be a verbal assassin. The danger of all of this, danger of a sermon like this, is you'll think to yourself, wow, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. So-and-so's not here. Here's what you might do. Maybe you might Maybe you might say to your husband or wife about that sermon, how much of that applies to me? Who knows what the answer will be? The end of all this, we need Jesus, don't we? I am not preaching self-help. I am not preaching pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I am not preaching just try harder, just do better. I'm not preaching that. James said in the last chapter, he said, no one can control the tongue. We need the help of God. We need our Lord. James said in James 3, the tongue is set on fire of hell. We need Jesus because only Jesus can help us replace the smell of brimstone with the fragrance of heaven. We're called to be like our master who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was cursed, cursed not in return. When he was abused, did not repay in kind. When he was mocked, did not retaliate. When he was hung between two thieves, crucified for a crime he did not commit, prayed for those who killed him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Of all people, he had every right to seek revenge, but he chose instead to submit to the Father's will. When you feel tempted to give in to anger and bitterness. When you feel, when you feel some, some critical comment about to escape your lips, 
Remember the words of 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Over a century ago, Kate Wilkinson was meditating on Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you. It was also in Christ Jesus. She wrote a poem that became a hymn. It's the only hymn we have from her pen, but it is a great one. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Lord, that is our prayer. That is our need. Without you, Lord, who knows what we might say. Without you, Lord, without your spirit, without your grace, who knows what unkindness might slip from our lips. So, Lord Jesus, come, fill us with your spirit so that our lips would speak words of healing and kindness. Lord Jesus, do your work in us and transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.